you do all the preparation to be ready for when the moment comes and then you have to just jump. You have to do it. You have to be on it because if you miss it, then you've, you've missed your opportunity to make your, to, to capture the moment, whether it's for a personal challenge that you wanted to get some, sometimes you have a vision of a shot you want to get, or sometimes they, the company wants a certain photo of somebody, but you want to give them the best you can get. So you have to spend all this time preparing yourself. Uh, doing the research about the location where you're going to be or where they're going to be, um, looking at the weather, looking at the swell, uh, making sure that they have the one item they need the photo of, or making sure you have the right equipment at the right time and it's working. And then when all the elements come together, the perfect winds, the good swell, the tide, you being there with the equipment and the athlete and going out, then you're going out into the water. Everything's there. Now you've got to get it. <laughs> so you you know you've done all that work now you just need to be in the right place at the right time to get that shot so it takes a lot to seize that moment uh but when you get it it's it's really it feels good hi and welcome to the mindset and performance podcast i'm dries i help athletes and business professionals with their career development we work on a wide range of areas from psychology to strategy and execution but we focus essentially on the mindset as it is the key to everything else the whole idea behind this podcast is to deconstruct the habits that led people to their success to learn from their experience and understand the psychology behind their actions and behaviors and of course, to gain key insights that you can apply to your own life. Damia Dorsey is a surf action, athletes, models, and city and landscapes photographer. For over 12 years, he has captured some of the most exciting images in the field of surfing. Just like for his photography business, Damia learned to be prepared and ready to seize the moment. During this conversation, he tells us about his background, his beginnings, his growth, and more importantly, his relationship to the ocean. Damir's story is full of great examples that illustrate how to take advantage of the opportunities that come your way, from being a beach boy, to a lifeguard, to a marketing manager for one of the biggest names in the surf industry, and then to a surf photographer that traveling the world with the greatest surf athletes of all time. Damia found his way to doing what he loves, by taking the right decisions in the right moments. So in this podcast, you will learn what you can learn from living by the ocean, how to be resilient through challenging times, what it takes to seize the moment. It was nice to host Damia in my podcast. He's inspiring and easy to be around. He has a lot of stories to tell and seems to have lived 100 lives. We met last summer, more specifically in August, during a surf trip that I made in one of the Indonesian islands. And so the former senior photographer uh, at Transworld Surf is now based in Bali, Indonesia, and this is his story. So, how are you today? I'm getting through. <laughs> getting through? What happened this morning? You, you were a little bit late. What, did, yes. what was happening with the door you said? I don't know. I went up, you know, Indonesia. He went up to my door, put the key in to get out of my house, and the lock just spun. <laughs> Start spinning. Insane. Like I could just turn it, and huh? it, the key wouldn't go all the way in. And then you're like, okay, well, my house is set up so that people can't break in or out. <laughs> and, and now I can't get out. How did you manage to fix it anyway? Um, well, first I had to get out. So I went out to the backyard outside of all the inside stuff, climbed over the wall, went to the owner of the house who I keep a spare key with for the back door and blah, blah, blah. And then I call my, my house guy and get him over there. And he just starts, you know, diving in and tearing everything apart for me. And I said, good luck and I take off and I said just message me if you need me to, to help in any way I'm so sorry I gotta go he, he left quickly I did oh you did all I right did. I all was, right I was coming here <laughs> yeah yeah sure so how do you usually introduce yourself to people like casually and professionally casually just hi Demia nice to meet you mm -hmm. <laughs> what's your name that's I think how you introduced yourself when we met the first time in Roti yeah right yeah. professionally 
Uh, because you get a lot of things ongoing at the same time, like two things, I guess, or more. I've got so. a couple of things that are that happen. Um, you know, there's the photography side of things, which is very diverse nowadays. And you know, there's a, my my barber shop inside of Deus, Dorsey's barber shop, and then there's just other kind of things that I work on with with people that I know and friends. But yeah, I still. It still seems to be, it's a business for me now. It's just it's more of personal relationships, I guess. So I guess from for different people or business interactions, you introduce yourself differently, right? Like if you're, if you're going to have, if you're talking to somebody who wants photography, you say, I'm a photographer. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of, right? <laughs> yeah. And you are originally from California, California, right? Like yeah. born there? Born and raised in San Diego, California. Okay. And so what was it like for you to grow up over there? How as a kid like uh, uh It was it was great actually. You know, my childhood well, it seemed amazing to me. You know, we were was born in San Diego, lived pretty much right on the beach. Um back then it was it was it was much more affordable. So, you know, my parents lived very close to the beach. Then they separated and then they were moved to different parts of San Diego, like North County and, and the South County part. So I bounced back and forth in different beach communities my whole life in San Diego. So I was was always about the beach though. You know, oh yeah. Like I didn't have any brothers or sisters. I just had dogs and cats in the beach. Oh wow, okay. <laughs> and and my mom here and my dad there and just bounced around and oh. very I don't know what I want to say. It's like just a beach gypsy lifestyle for me, I guess. I was always comfortable moving around, being in different areas, but they were always within like San Diego for the most part. Uh, what were you mostly up to? Like, were you, I don't know, surfing? Yes. Yeah. It was, my mom was uh, very active at the beach. My dad was a lifeguard surfer. So he was very active at the beach. Um, so every day was just like, get up, go to the beach or, you know, go to school. And then through the elementary and junior high and high school, um, I think by the time I was in high school, it was, you know, go to when the surf's good, go before school, then go to school and then blistering out the door. The second the bell rang, get back to the beach to surf again. So it was always about the beach. Um, when I was about 18, uh, maybe a senior in high school, my dad just came out to me randomly and he's like, they're holding tryouts at the lifeguard station. You should go down there. And I was like, really? Went down, tried out, got first place at the tryouts for, Did you? for a two day <laughs> event with like, I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. And it was, uh, there was a lot of like triathletes and you know 30 35 year old guys and girls i was just like so not prepared <laughs> and and but i just went for it and you know they they do a, a a several days of all kinds of things you know um physical endurance uh, and uh, mental and testing and all of these things and at the end they rate you and I got first and the guy behind me was like a Navy SEAL. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. How did you do that? I think to be honest, it was uh, being young, fit. And the most important thing was uh, ocean knowledge. Uh -huh. um, because in in these uh, races that we were doing, I was playing water polo, surfing and, and all of that stuff. But in these uh, races, they would have us run across the beach, swim out to a point around like the pier and swim in. And I would be in the in the top three coming, you know, first, second or third on all of them. And then I a bunch of times they saw me stop in the surf and then five, six, seven, eight people passed me and blistering towards the beach. And I body surf, catch a wave and go all the way to the beach and pass everyone. And they were like, this guy's this guy knows the ocean, you know? Yeah, you knew your ground very well. Yeah. And then other times, like, they'd start the race and everybody would run the shortest distance. And I went over to the side where it was shallow, jumped into a rip, and then beat everybody out because I went with the rip. And they were like, yep, that's exactly what we want. We want someone that looks at the ocean 
as uh, you know how to get around and how to get people in and get them in and out of trouble because that's what lifeguarding was right and i didn't even think of it like that i was thinking well i gotta beat these guys you know what's the best way to beat them and i was like oh i'll just go right in the rip and i'll stop and catch this wave and because you do that when as a kid you know body surfing you lose your board you want to get in and get Uh your board and get back out and You know, how's the quickest way to get out? Use the rip. And when did you get into surfing the first time? Uh, Probably, you know, obviously there's like my dad and mom were at the beach all the time with the surfboard was there. My mom would kneeboard and body surf. And so, you know, they have pictures of me like standing on the board and pushing me into waves. But I really didn't get to the point where I wanted to go to the beach every day on my own until I was around 10 and a half, 11. And then I was like, I just wanted to surf all day. You know, I just was like, I just want to go to the beach and surf. That's it. Was there anyone that you were looking up to back then? Like you say, who influenced you most? Like could be from small circle parents or from larger, wider. It was mainly my dad. Dad. It was just my dad. He was a good surfer. And and Mm -hmm. I used to just see him surfing. And I was like, this is fun. And then as soon as I got in the water and was doing it myself, it was just, self-motivation from pure stoke you know riding waves is such a cool feeling when you're I got at any age anyone you know anyone that's ever ridden a wave you just kind of get sucked into it like mm. an addiction right a good nice healthy addiction mm. what would you say he taught you what's the if you can pick one or two things that you say he taught you or even I don't know a sentence that keeps running through your mind when tough times come or when questions come is there anything there you said a couple things. Um, never turn your back on the ocean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, always, uh, you know, with the ocean, you have to always expect the unexpected. Basically, it's like never turn your back on it. Like mm-hmm. never look away. It's, it's, anything can happen in the ocean. Um, what else did he say? I don't know. Was he a waterman? Yeah, to to some degree. I mean, he was very good in the ocean, and uh, and it was just a, it was a you know he was a good lifeguard. He was a good surfer. He loved the beach. He loved the ocean. So I got that from and my mom as well. Got that from both of them. So like I said, it was like the ocean was my other family member. You know, mm-hmm. if uh, and you know being a back then it was considered a latchkey kid. You know, you had a necklace with a key on it, and that was the lock to the house. And when you got home, your mom was working, or if I was at my dad's house, I'd get home from school, and dad was working. So you're very independent um, mm-hmm. at a young age back in those days because uh, we were all latchkey kids. So we'd all meet up at the beach at, uh, you know, after school and mm-hmm. hang out with our friends in the ocean, who was the, the consistent thing in life. Most present one, yeah. Definitely. So what would you say um, the biggest learnings from that period of your life? Like uh, I mentioned 18, 19 when you went to, um, to the trials, right? The lifeguarding, yeah. So, so what, what would you say the, the biggest learnings you had from, from that life, being in the ocean, being near the ocean, growing next to it and all the way until 18, 19? The biggest lessons I learned lessons, from, yeah. from it? Yeah. Um, how did it shape you to be the one who you are today? Once I got a job as a lifeguard, I mean, I was I was already surfing in like competitions and stuff and, you know, because of the surfing part. But the, when I got a job lifeguarding and it was at the beach, it just kind of, it seemed like everything revolved around the ocean. And I, I don't know, I just... It just felt like it was my family. Like it was just, you know, that's where I wanted to work. That's where I wanted to be. I always wanted to be around it. Mm-hmm. And it, it was my meditation. It was my exercise. It was my life, you know, mm-hmm. even my income. So just the ocean the beach lifestyle was always a part of me. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what it, like the lesson is here, but it. I guess it taught me things like people are trying to get into it now meditations like swimming and surfing was meditation for me it was in the ocean you know you're you're alone when you do these things um, when you swim you're in your own head you know body surfing or surfing you're on the wave you the wave you just really in the moment for those things so 
I think that kept me as a real balanced person dealing with, you know, stress of like school or a job or whatever, even though my job was lifeguarding, which is stressful because you're, you're responsible for people's lives and stuff. Yeah, you get a wash of them, yeah. Everyone kind of undermines or kind of doesn't put a lot of value on a lifeguard. But to be honest, like when you look back at all the things I did, it's like you delivered a baby, pulled, saved lives, CPR, pulled dead bodies out of the ocean, uh, saved countless lives. It's, it's uh, pretty traumatic and crazy a little you know those kind of experiences people maybe only have once in their life did you just say deliver a baby yeah you did that yeah wow um when i was i think around 20 i um ended up uh delivering this woman's baby in a public bathroom and then i'd say about 21 years later this this girl she ended up being adopted and her adopted mother and her found me because there was an article in the newspaper um, a couple months after this stuff happened. And uh, they found me and were like, you're Demia Dorsey, the lifeguard at the beach at this on this day? And I said, yeah, so I'm the girl you delivered in the public bathroom. <laughs> And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and she, and we're, we still talk now. We're, we're friends on like Instagram and Facebook and keep in, keep in touch every once in a while. And she's in, she's in college in San Francisco and she's just, just graduating and is starting to do her uh, chiropractic uh, trainings and, you know, where they go to another country and, and uh, volunteer and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. You know? Girl, I can imagine. Very <laughs> gratifying somehow. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, you, I for years thought, I wonder whatever happened. You know, in the in your psyche, you're like, oh, I delivered this baby. And it, actually, there's more to it than that. The same, the woman that uh, had the baby, I pulled her out of the ocean dead a week later. Wow. Yeah. So it was. it's a lot more to it all. And it was... You know, that was probably some of the biggest uh, mental trauma for me as a kid. I mean, not a kid. I was, you know, as a young man in my early 20s and trying to kind of like always thinking back, like, what did, how do I feel from this moment? And the one thing that I always kind of felt was a, a non-closure to it was whatever happened to the baby. And when they hit me up on Facebook and the one time I was just like, like, it just felt so good so much better and like it was closure to that traumatic moment you know mm. so it's mm. nice to see it's turning she has turned into such a, a positive good person and i feel feel like that those things that i did back then may actually made differences <laughs> mm. Mm. how many people know about this story um not not, not that many i not guess many, i guess yeah i mean the, the a, f a few of my friends and stuff know about it because I know when you start having a deep conversation with someone, you get mm. into these things. It's like how just how it led into it. Now mm. you start talking about the lifeguarding experiences I had. It's a pretty radical. Was it a long experience, by the way, from eighteen until? I was a lifeguard for ten years. Ten years, yeah. right, right. So when did photography came? Um, so at the end of those ten years, I was you know semi-professional surfing, lifeguarding and doing um, party promoting and productions like for like, like um, some of my sponsors. And I got hired by one of my sponsors. Uh, Freestyle Watches hired me to do marketing for them and manage their team and across all of their sports. You know, they had snowboarding and skating and, you know, surfing obviously and, and a few other areas and wakeboarding. And so I, I came in and started doing that and that was without a college education you know i just came in and was mentored by the marketing director and she was an amazing woman she taught me so much and how to deal with the corporate world and how to try to remove the emotional part of your of your work and realizing that you know that working in a company sometimes means just doing what they want, whether you agree 100% or not, and I don't know. <laughs> so you moved from the beach to the office? Yes. Right, how was that? Um, to be honest, that would be considered a, a 
being becoming a professional like you had made it you're working for a, a real job you know at that point because everyone my grandfather I remember this I was lifeguarding I was making more money than most of my friends my grandfather was like when are you gonna get a real job <laughs> I was like grandpa I make more than all my friends like I have a real job <laughs> that's not a job <laughs> so I don't know that you get pushed into a semi-corporate world but um working for freestyle watches was not very corporate yes I had a cubicle and I had my computer at my desk and all that but you know we were going to do the trade shows I was still going to the surf events you know su supporting our, our teams members at like surf events and at wakeboarding events and you know the trade shows and doing the trade show parties celebrating things and it was really just a, another extension of my current life but now much more organized and with goals and you know to help make sales happen um, so I learned a lot from that. Then that led to me getting the, the marketing manager job at Rip Curl USA. And I did that for a few years. And towards the end of that, it was, it was pretty tough, um, you know, working for other people, um, you know, trying to do things that are going to help the brand and then having to listen to other people that you didn't think was going to help go the right way and blah, 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 a little few things that were difficult to deal with. And I was, you know, obviously, uh, as a marketing manager for a brand that size, you're doing a lot of things and photo shoots, organizing photo shoots with uh, our athletes. Shooting yourself or organizing only? No, organizing, like hiring the best photographers to shoot with our team writers who were the best in the, you know, top guys in the world at the time. And, and uh, you know, shoot directing saying hey look we need we need these kind of shots uh, we also need the lifestyles like this you know for the ad campaigns and so on and so forth um, so I was dealing with the photographers and with the contracts with it and the comp being the company so I really knew the business inside and out already 360 yeah mm -hmm. and then um, then when I would be there with them you know you're trying to get the best surfers to get the best opportunities with as many photos as possible and you know I'm there and I'm like well what am I doing I'm like I want to surf but I, I don't really want to take their waves you know like they're like we're trying to get stuff done and I'm like but I want to surf but and what am I supposed to do just stand there so I eventually was like well maybe if I get a camera I can take some photos too and and I can help show what I what I want us to get you know to help explain it better or maybe I can pick up an extra shot or two for uh, our campaign or whatever we're doing so that was my first step into that and to how, how old were you back then oh gosh what was i i think i was 31 mm -hmm. 32 mm -hmm. yeah i was early 30s i um that was like first time really having purchased a, a real camera you know I uh, went to one of the editors of the magazines that I was, you know, we're doing a lot of work with the magazines, Surfer, Surfing, um, and Transworld uh, for the advertising. So, you know, all the sales guys, all the editors, everything, and the photo editor, because we would need to buy photos and stuff for our ads. And so I went to the photo editor. His name was Larry Moore. They called him Flame. He was one of the longest running editors at, or photo editors at surfing magazine and he was also well known for mentoring for you know photographers and he helped me you know pick out the right gear and find out what would, was going to be the best thing for me and you know got me into a canon a2e film camera to hook me up with a dale kobatech Dale, Dale Kobitich, Kobitech. <laughs> um, he was a guy that made custom water housings back then. Right. And so we got me the housing. We got me fisheye lens with the camera body and swimming and went out and started shooting with uh, some guys. And uh, I brought him back the photos for, you know, for him to critique and tell me. And he was like, well, he's like, these, these are really good. Like, <laughs> He's like, this is 
pretty impressive for, for right off the bat. Like you, you're doing a really, really, really great job. You, you listened to what I said and you've not only listened, but you got in really good positioning. And I was just so stoked. Like I was like, <laughs> you know, my whole life is spent staring at surf magazines and you know, you're, this is surf of your dreams to get in it and you be the guy in it, which I had that a few times. But now I was taking photos of guys and they were getting in the magazine. I was like, it felt like Christmas morning every time I got my film back. It was so good. I felt like you couldn't compare that feeling to much, you know. And that happened a couple more times. I was published. He published like a full page um, six months after I picked up a camera. And I was just like, and I got paid. I was like, what? And he was like, I'm going to give you more film. So he's giving me the film. He's I'll bring it to our developer. We'll develop it and pay for it. And then we'll replace with more film. He's like, you just have to let us get the first look and we can pick what we want. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> sure. What do you think made the difference? Why were you um, nailing those pictures, making so good, so good pictures? Being I mean, a surfer. Being a surfer. Already, already knowing the ocean, mm. having surfed my whole life. So uh, I was with a fisheye lens is where I started. So I needed to be up close within, you know, four to six, 10 feet away from the action. And you had to be in that moment right where someone was, somebody was doing something. Mm -hmm. You know, you could be four to six feet away from a guy and he's bottom turning around you. And it's like, it's, you know, it could be boring. Mm -hmm. But to get right in the barrel with him or get right where they're doing a turn is, takes a lot of, uh, experience you know to, to, to go okay well I know how this wave works and I know where this guy is going to do a turn and I'm going to meet intersect with the wave the surfer and you all on the same point you know at, at a beach break you know at a reef could be a little easier but like you had a beach break you know that's it's tricky and and I was getting it right off the bat because I had a, you know a very keen knowledge of the ocean and the surf and the surfers so I think there was a a very fast progression once I knew the technical part of how to expose the film properly and um, just, you know, then getting in position and getting good, having an eye for it and then being able to get in the action. And there wasn't very many guys doing that back then. So it was also supply and demand. I, if I got a good photo, it was in demand because there wasn't a lot of guys shooting in the water. Right, right. So what was it like, actually? By the way, so that was the pivoting moment where you shifted and changed from the marketing side, the office side, to being actually in the action, right? I left uh, Rip Curl to do photography, like mm. like very well-paid professional world mm. kind of thing, like where I felt like I was maybe, you know, like in, in America in terms, I was like, I've made it, you know, mm. I'm, a, I'm a marketing manager for a big company, you know? And I was like, I'm not happy. Mm. <laughs> and I, I was literally like addicted to the photography thing. And I was like, every time I got a good photo, I could sell it. It was making money, you know? It was in my, I already had the connections to the magazines, to the, I knew all the other guys at the company. So I could very easily just show up and take a slides and say, do you guys need a photo of, you know, this particular athlete? And they're like, yeah. We'll, we'll buy this one for an ad, you know, we'll buy this one for the, you know, in our trade show booth wall and we'll, we'll buy this one for that. And I was, I was selling all of these photos. As soon as I had a good photo, it was, it was like so easy for me to sell it. Um, so I was like, okay, I might as well be doing this. So I started, I just said like, you know, Rip Curl and I fell apart, went out and did photography full time. What was it exciting about that, actually, specifically? I get it. Like, you are in the water, right? Being in the ocean instead of being in the desk or on the shore watching. Now you are in the ocean. What else was a part of uh, of that that was quite interesting and exciting? Meeting people, social part of it? What was... Uh... It was basically turning my normal pastime, what I would do in my if I didn't have a job, you know, going to the beach, monitoring what the surf's going to be like, going to the beach, meeting up with people to go surf somewhere. It was, the, it was what I did, you know, but now it was, it was my job. I could get paid for it. Mm -hmm. So do the same thing. I would then network with the, the best surfers, call them up and be like, Hey, the swell's coming. What are you doing? You want to, want to meet up and shoot? 
yeah, let's go here, let's do that. And then get those guys that were, you know, really professional and really trying to get stuff done and go be at the best spot at the best time, just like we would do as surfers as growing up. But now I'm documenting it. Obviously, the hardest part in the beginning was saying, uh, now I'm going to shoot it instead of actually be surfing. Mm-hmm. You know, that was probably the at that age, that was the biggest mental challenge. Um, but that's why I wanted to be in the water, because then at least I was being physical and I was challenging myself and I was uh, uh, I was still in the water surfing. And like when we linked up, it was like the same kind of stoke. You know, I got so stoked, like as if I had gotten barreled or I had done that turn, it felt like I was a part of the moment. So it was that same rush and feel that was, it just felt like I couldn't believe I was getting, I was like so excited that A, I'm doing this. And then I would be like, I just got these photos, go get them developed. And now I'm selling that and it's supporting me. I was like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It was, yeah. it was the best. It felt so good. And then I had the, you know, easily had the international connections. I could started uh, networking with the magazines and the companies in Australia and in Europe. Europe was starting to be become a, um, uh, another spot in the surfing world that was really starting to trend at that time. Like it was starting to, you know, Hosegar with the Quicksilver Pro was really kind of putting surfing on the map more in Europe. Was, they used to, no one used to actually really think of Europe for surf that much back in the day you know it wasn't that big uh, it wasn't that explored or or known and it, it started it started growing but so i was on that market with sales then brazil i had sales there and when you combined all of those locations like i was making pretty good money <laughs> and traveling the world and seeing different places yep. right so how was it like actually how long did it last that whole period it's still it's still ongoing i believe also to some degree um let's see it really started happening for me around uh i started like where that all started was probably around 2002 three was when i first was starting to shoot and then I'd say around 2004 and five is when I was really starting to to travel and uh, I had made all my connections and I was making a good enough income that it was supporting everything for me and supporting me to travel. And so 2005, six was really starting to hit it. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. It was just the top of the game was just all through that time. And then I, I was somewhere around 2010. Digital had already been in effect since maybe 2006. Um, and it, that wasn't a problem at that time. I was, I was at the top of the game, you know, I was up there with like the best guys um, shooting some film and digital. And I think at some point it was, I went all digital, which still was no problem. And there was, you know, there was more and more competition uh, as far as other photographers being out there. And yeah, I think I, around 2011, 12 and 13, the, the, the pay was just dropping off. The job opportunities were dropping off. Then the magazine, I think the magazine, I think it was probably 2013. I was a senior staff photographer for Transworld for, I think, around seven years, seven or eight years. And uh, we were on a trip and they just called us and they said, hey, they, they just shut the mag down. And we were like, what? <laughs> mm. You know, I was on a trip with guys for the mag and they were just like, the magazine is shut down. And so it was... Uh, that was I knew it was coming too. like the whole world was flooded with photographers and the all of the images were going online, you know, so there was advertising online. So there was less money going into the magazines for the for the they had to share version. Mm -hmm. It had to share that that uh, that budget, you know, like so a company had a budget, they were putting a lot into the magazines. Now they were taking part of that budget and advertising online. So the magazines were getting less and less money and that meant they were trying to find ways to, to save money and you know they would let staff guys go because now there's more photographers out there. So they were getting more photos for less money. Same with the ad sales or the 
you know, for me selling my images to, you know, Quicksilver or Billabong or Volcom at the time, it was like there would be 25 other good photos of this person. And so the those guys would sit there, the companies would be like, okay, well, we like these three photos. What will you give us? Yours is one of them. And what price? What's your price? And then they would, you know, I go, well, these are my prices. This is what it's been always has been never been a problem and all of a sudden i didn't get the sale and i was like wait what, what happened you guys and they're like oh well we went the other one it was like half the price and i was like what <laughs> mm. Mm. so how was it like to go through all the, the whole period like not the challenging period i guess but i'm talking about here referring specifically to that whole journey you were traveling a lot oh, hoping from a plane to another one uh, where, where was home? Where was the base, by the way? You were still based in California. I yeah, I was still based in San Diego, but I spent most of the, you know, a lot of the time on like two to three month, one to three month kind of trips going from spot to spot to spot um, and then come back home and, you know, do a little bit, try to be around home when home was on fire, which is like good, like this is in the the fall, like, you know. August, September or something. It was it was good. And October or something before I would go to Europe and blah, blah, blah. So I, I spent a little bit of time at home. Um, I was di divorced at that point and I was having a lot more freedom to just travel. And I just started just traveling like crazy. And it was a lot of fun. It was so good. You know, you travel around with the best surfers in the world and the best surf in the world. And, so it is uh, as good as it looked like from the outside, oh my right? God, yeah. So it was, <laughs> it'd be, it was so fun. Is it how you expected it to be when you started? I expected it to be like that because I'd already been doing it to some degree uh, with, you know, when you're, uh, the, you know, when you're a marketing manager for one of these companies and you're supporting the team, you're doing the team as well. You're like, you're at these events. You're there for the celebrations after the events. You're there for the good surf. You're there. It, the lifestyle is insane, you know. Yeah. And now is all I had to do is carry a camera with me and document it all. And they paid me for it. And it was just really living the dream, as they would say. It was oh, amazing. I can't imagine. Yeah. yeah. And what are the skills, um, soft skills, I would say, that you have developed through that job as a photographer and the lifestyle that came with it? I believe there will be a lot of, uh, um, I can imagine there will be a lot of uh, social skills there. Yes. For sure. Networking yeah. is huge. Yeah. You know, if you're not, uh, if you're not talking with the right people to, to meet up with them or talking with what the companies need, you know, you miss opportunities. You could, uh, could target like a certain athlete to go get photos and he may have just done a photo shoot and you know, those photos then maybe aren't as valuable. But if you call the company and say, look, I'm going to be here at this location. Uh, what do you, do you need photos of anyone in particular? And they'd be like, oh, yeah. So we're about to launch a new wetsuit and we've sent a sample over to, you know, Kelly Slater, for instance. So he's got this new wetsuit. Can you meet up with him and get a photo? Well, mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you call a guy up and you say, uh, you're, you're here, I'm here. looks like there's going to be waves this day. Where are you going to surf? Let's go shoot. And you go get the photo. As soon as you get it, you send it to them. And then they're like, yep, that's what we needed. Or they would say, oh, we'll, we'll hold this one. Can you try to get one that's more like this? And, you know, you kind of just network. Network. And I hear also quick decision making. Like things happen quickly. You get a, the phone call. You got to just take that plane or that ride and just go for it. Right. The hardest part was... <laughs> They always needed something yesterday, and you're like, "What? Couldn't, you could have called me like uh -huh. a week ago, and I, I could have done it." And they're like, "Well, we just know now. We we have to have it, and I, I needed it yesterday. So can you get this?" And you're just like, "Boom! You got to jump on a flight, call that person, see if they're going to be into doing it. Get there, haul ass, do it." And you know that was tough. That was the hardest part. It was always, "Can you do this today? Now? Leave right now?" And how did you organize your day or your life to it's be able to so be so <laughs> flexible? Because that's that's being flexible, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, when when I was when I was married and kids, it's it's almost impossible. But when you're single and uh, you've you're used to it, it's really a lot easier. Um, so you just simplified your life. You know, you made all your bills were paid online. You'd have 
you know, no animals at the house (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, you just, you have to be able to, at the drop of a hat, you have to be ready to go. Right. Grab your stuff and get on a flight. See, I see some similarities there um, and some skills that could be transferred between actually the shooting and taking the picture, which is when you have actually to seize the moment and shoot and also in, okay, outside of the water. I have, I have great admiration for uh, action photographers and you guys must be, I mean, in the right place for the right moment and also navigate through an unstable environments which is i don't know water and waves and reef and storms or whatever and um even dangerous situations and so then you just seize the moment should that take that shot and uh, mark it in time and i guess the same way with personal life or like outside of the water you're just gonna be ready yeah mm. have a camera in hand or you're, you're, when, when it's good, you do all the preparation to be ready for when the moment comes and then you have to just jump. You have to do it. You have to be on it because if you miss it, then you've, you've missed your opportunity to make your, to, to capture the moment, whether it's for a personal challenge that you wanted to get some, sometimes you have a vision of a shot you want to get, or sometimes they, the company wants a certain photo of somebody, but you want to give them the best you can get. So you have to spend all this time preparing yourself, uh, doing the research about the location where you're going to be or where they're going to be, looking at the weather, looking at the swell, uh, making sure that they have the one item they need the photo of, or making sure you have the right equipment at the right time and it's working. And then when all the elements come together, the perfect winds, the good swell, the tide, you being there with the equipment and the athlete and going out, then you're going out into the water. Everything's there. Now you've got to get it. <laughs> so, you, you know, you've done all that work. Now you just need to be in the right place at the right time to get that shot. So it takes a lot to seize that moment. Uh, but when you get it, it's, it's really, it feels good. And Worth it, huh? Yeah. And in my opinion, that's a professional, somebody that uh, you say, we need this and you, you do all of that to then capture that moment that a professional has a backup camera is there gets the shot you know when that moment happens they get it like no questions asked it happened not well, my camera didn't work i got to drop a water on the lens oh the battery was dead you know these are all excuses is a professional it's did you get it yes that was people would rely on you as a professional to just get it Mm. No excuse. So when looking back now to all these days, memories and periods, uh, do you think it's worth it? Did it worth it to do what you did? Was it worth it? Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, I would still be doing it at that capacity uh, if, it, uh, if the, the market allowed it, you know, yeah. you know, reaching a certain point and then, uh, you know, trying to stay competitive and relevant at, at that high point and then seeing the environments change and... Uh, seeing a lot of other people coming up from from what you would say was under you, you know, like as a younger person or somebody coming into the scene and getting more famous and paid more, whatever was the value you put on it, uh, it's humbling. So it's best to just stay humble and do your best. And then, and then I, I guess the other thing is, is what do you what do you want out of it? You know, at the time. I wanted it to be a career and then when it was a career I was happy but then as you start pushing up to a higher respect level or you know higher level of the career then you're you're pushing yourself to maintain that and then when you're not at that when you're not the top couple guys or whatever I'm not saying I was ever the top guy but you know when you're in that mix it's it's good but you you're you're competing against those guys to to push who you are as a photographer and then uh, when other people just blast through that you're humbled again <laughs> then you need to kind of go what is it i want out of this is it to be that known as the best guy or do you just want to know what i want to do is just have this lifestyle um be comfortable happy and and continue to do it to continue to shoot photos as a living and in a way that it isn't, uh, doesn't feel like work, you know, like that 
when I would push myself to shoot for the magazine and I was getting paid a salary, I was pushing myself, you know, I, I was driven to get better photos. Self-induced pressure, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was pressuring myself. They, they knew they didn't have to, they didn't have to do anything. The magazine was like, here's my proposal for where I want to go and what I want to do. And they were like, yep, go. We know we're going to get a massive amount of content from you. And then uh, that salary is gone and that support through travel, you know, it costs money to, to do that, right? To, to maintain that production of content. And if someone's not paying for it, then it's hard. You know, it's really hard to go and get it at a, on a budget. You know, I think that's kind of what the world is right now. Everyone with Instagram is, there's a demand for content, but there's only so much budget around for it. And um, that's the trick, I guess. What, however, these people are doing it where they're funding all of this travel and this, uh, this lifestyle, I don't think I'm doing the same way. I maintain an Instagram through my work stuff. You know, like I get work and then I post some photos. Other people, they post the photos and then they get the work or they get their, they get paid. And man, all the power to them. That's crazy. It's, it's really a career for a lot of people. Mm. I'd hate to think what would happen if Instagram died off tomorrow. There'd be a lot of professional models out of a lot of work. Do you know that they're removing the likes from Instagram? Did you hear about that? No. They're removing the likes. So... I want to be able to see how many people liked your pictures yeah. and you will not be able to see mine, how many people liked my pictures, but we can see how many people liked our own. So I don't know how that will be changing the, the, the huh. business. They, they, they're running some trials on that already. Like it's official and not just talk. I remember them doing a, a small trial where they removed the likes and then they put it back. And I thought it was weird <laughs> because personally, I want to, I like to see for my, well, I guess you still get to see yours. yours. Yeah. So for your own personal thing, it's nice to see what you like as a photo, mm. but it's also then what, what do other people think of it? You know, mm. it helps. Mm. I, I think gives gives some feedback, right? Yeah. yeah. You said some couple of very very interesting things right now here. When, when it comes to why you're doing it, right? Like mm. why you're doing what you're doing. Is I, I guess I see also a lot of par parallels with athletes when they are in competition. I mean, is it about being the number one or top five, top ten, or is it about actually the fun and the lifestyle that comes with it and the whole process of actually training, waking up, traveling to different places, surfing, competing, doing your best, inspiring other people, and getting and moving and keep on moving? Yes, yeah. that is all of that, <laughs> all of it, right? Mm. And at different levels, you know, like mm. in the beginning, it's you're you're just doing it because you love it, and then you turn it into a, a job, and then a career, and then you start getting known for it, and you get to a high level, and then you might push to be known as the best or something. Not that I ever was known as the best, but you know, mm. you push and strive to get to be at a higher level. And then at some point you decide, you know, is, is that what it's about? Are you trying to be the best? Or are you just, you just doing this for money? Or are you doing this as a lifestyle? And for me, I, I really enjoy doing it. I love it. You mm. know? Okay. How about now? What, what are you up to and what are you doing? Um, how does your days look like? Well, living in Bali now and my days are pretty relaxed, which is really nice. Um, with regard to photography, um, with that whole world changing the way it did, I had to, remember I was saying like, you know, you'd go to sell your stuff, at, your images to the magazines or to the sponsors uh, and companies like that. And the sales weren't happening as often and prices were being lowered and lowered and lowered. So it was a very frustrating thing, you know, to be working uh, 10 times harder than I ever was and making like one tenth of the pay. So I was getting what we would call a little salty, a little bit eggy about it. And, you know, kind of like, like, this is stupid. This, they don't know what they're doing. Why is this? The, you know, blah, blah, blah. The, the fact of the matter is the market's changed. You adapt. So. In order for me to refuse jobs, I had to have something else going on. So I could say no to people that would give me ridiculous 
offers, you know, like they'd be like, Oh, can you do all of this for $200? And I'd be like, $200, it costs that much for me to get, you know, there that day in, you know, whatever the cost, they just unrealistic things, you know, people were doing it at a loss and I can't afford to do it at a loss because it was my career. So I had to kind of reinvent things and I moved to Bali uh, to just kind of think about what was next after the magazine had shut down. And when I moved here, I moved into Changu and it was, you know, it's a small chill town and um, my friends have had dais here, the dais ex machina, that building, which is, you know, got the restaurant, surfboards, motorcycles, and that compound. And there wasn't much else around. And we couldn't get, try to get a haircut or something. We had to go to Seminyak and it was all like really girly haircut places, you know, salons that were expensive and no one, the guys were just like, oh, this sucks. I need a haircut. What do I do? And, uh, and so then we would go to like the local guy, you know, he'd literally be cutting your hair with like paper scissors and you're like in like <laughs> his backyard or something. And it was just dirty. And you tell him, I want this and I want that. And he'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're done. And you're like, that's not what I said. <laughs> and he'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they charge you nothing, you know, like, mm. and you'd give him extra cause you felt bad, but you didn't get the haircut you wanted. Um, and I actually, my wife before. Uh, when I was married, she was a, a hairstylist and I had learned how to do that when I was um, starting photography because I didn't know if it was going to make it or not. And I was a bit concerned, you know, in the house and had all this overhead. So I, I learned how to do that as well to make sure her business went well. And I did really well at that. At the same time, I was doing well with photography. Um, so I had that skill and I decided like we need a barbershop here in Changu for you know, just a little simple barbershop for everyone to get a haircut at. And I told my buddy uh, at Deus, and he goes, ah, that would be a great idea. Why don't you do that here inside Deus? And it'll be like the one-stop shop for every guy. You got your surfboards, you got your motorcycles, you got food, you got beers, you got clothing, and you can get a haircut. <laughs> so we opened up Dorsey's Barbershop there. And that immediately was doing well and it took uh, the pressure off of having to take every job that came up in photography. Like I could now say no to ridiculous offers. And it also helped me not be upset with those people that were making ridiculous offers. You know, like when you get a ridiculous offer several times a day, you're ready to just like punch someone in the face. I mean, obviously you're not going to, but that's the kind of feeling you get. You're like, why is everyone so unprofessional now? And what, what are you talking about? I can't even make money off of that. You know, they're telling you, we'll get you exposure. I'm like, I don't need exposure. <laughs> I need money. <laughs> so you, so now I can say no in a calm way and say, look, it's a, appreciate it but it's just not for me that's not the you don't have to re-explain to them that it just doesn't work you just say no and and then I could now afford to say no to those jobs and then take the real jobs that came which were less so that's where I am now I take the real jobs that come up and don't do all the little in-between ones that used to really just to, to really supplement it you know um, and I've also had to be very diverse. You know, I shoot several weddings a year. I do uh, some fashion stuff. I I did like a sunglass shoot just a few days ago. I've got a, a friend of mine's opening a, a donut, vegan donut shop. Oh, really? Yeah, donut. here in Changu. And, and it's a good friend of mine. And it's really actually a, a cool thing. Is It's going to be Dreamwave Donuts. It's right around the corner from Deus out there in Changu. And we're doing a shoot with like all the personalities in Changu and uh, in a studio. Like it's fun stuff, you know, like and it, it, it pays, you know, and it's fun. I like I like my job. I like shooting stuff like this. It's getting creative. Um, so then I still, of course, love uh, my photography. Um, I just don't have to stress mm. to the, you know, the point of how am I going to make ends meet? You know, I've got the barbershop that's covering my basics and now I can do the creative part, the creative and fun part, mm. you know, 
things. And you go into to Hawaii, right? You said you go in yeah. there soon. Oh. So I haven't been back to Hawaii since 2013. Oh, really? Wow. I was there 25 seasons in a row every single year for 25 years. Mm. Through the Because Hawaii is like the epicenter of... You know, it ends for the world champ. We have the winner in Hawaii. We have the, the, the heaviest surf, some of the gnarliest action. So you pretty much as a photographer or a surfer at that level need to be there, right? So obviously I haven't been a photographer for 25 years, but um, all of the photography career, all of the marketing career in the surf industry, and then part of it before that when I was actually surfing. So 25 seasons in a row. And then to just cold turkey stop in after 2013, 2013-14, that winter was the last time I was there. And I literally remember the last, you know, when they have those spectacular swells, they kind of name them. There was Black Friday. They had that swell and it was pipe was just going off. That's the last thing, um, substantial thing I shot in Hawaii. And right. this will be the first time I'm going back and I'm looking forward, looking forward to it. Yeah. You know, there's no pressure for me like to, you know, I have to do this after that. I'm just going to go do what I like to do there. And that's, you know, shoot the personalities and get good surf, shoot, shoot the action and then take that content and see who wants it. You know, it's nice. It's creative freedom to, to put together something that, I know will be interesting and then market that after the fact or while I'm there networking. And so I'm kind of excited. Right. And what else is happening also? Uh, projects you're working on soon or things working on right now with photography? Um... That is that is the next thing that's coming mm -hmm. up here in like, like a week, 10 days I leave. I'll be over there for almost a month. Uh, staying at the Florence's uh, other house there. So, um, John John Florence? Yeah, John John Florence lives at like log cabins. His, the house he grew up in, his mom still is in. And that's right on the beach, like at Ayukai Beach Park. So I'll stay there, which is right on the beach, which is so nice. <laughs> I can imagine. I am feeling a calling with Hawaii. I have never been, but I think I'm going to aim for... Uh, um, yeah, uh, beginning of the year at some point. Yeah, and, I would definitely uh, recommend it. It's yeah. it's spectacular. It's a bit intimidating for a lot of people, but just even just being there to see it to surf. You mean? Yes, for the surfing. I was not necessarily <laughs> speaking about surfing. I don't think I'm going to adventure myself in pipe, but like it's just to see the island and see the yeah. vibe and go to the source. Well, but I, I don't <laughs> recommend you know maybe charging out to pipe because yeah. yes, that's that is a very intimidating thing, and it's. Uh, better to go with somebody that's going to show you and make sure you don't make any mistakes or get in anyone's way because it's, it's I'm just it's, going for yoga man and but there are <laughs> there a are lot good. of fun places to right. go surf yeah. that are out of the way that mm. are nice but being there when pipe and back door and off the wall and sunset when those places are breaking mm. is amazing because you've seen it all these years your whole life and then you go there and you stand in front of it and you're like Phew. Mm. wow it's like pipelines like feels like an arena it feels like you're in the coliseum and there's just gladiators battling it out in these against these monster waves and it's right it's almost like you can touch it with your hand you know it's so close it looks insane right there yeah yeah so um would you say you're satisfied by what you have accomplished so far yeah, I kind of would have liked or still feel like there's something more I want to do. I just haven't really f figured it out. Yet. I have the feeling that you're going to answer a very humble qu answer. <laughs> I would like to do something. I don't think I've changed the world in any way, shape or form, but oh. and I, I've enjoyed it. And it's a, a, a very fun, healthy lifestyle that I've lived. Mm. But I would like to, to do something more. You know, I'm, I'm toying around with a couple ideas and it, it takes a lot of sitting around thinking to figure out what you you can do or you want to do or will inspire you to to put the right amount of energy towards doing, you know, so I'm 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 thinking something here soon. Mm -hmm. but we'll see. <laughs> can you finish the sentence? Life is all about being happy happiness come from for me happiness comes from being near the ocean right being free right. 
Really nice one. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your story, your experiences, and how you navigated through the ups and downs of it. It's very interesting to see how you transit from, I mean, being a kid in the ocean and still being a kid in the ocean right. somehow. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> right? That's the dream, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, pivoting around it. Uh, it's not not given to everyone to understand how we feel being near that element, that massive element of, of the ocean and how our identity is kind of linked to it. Through the conversation, I could see a lot of parallels uh, from your time before 18 years old, your 20s, your 30s, and all the way until now, and what you have transferred, skills that you passed from one place to another one. When you said, um, I think when you when you talked about the, comp- not the competition, when they were doing the trials to be a lifeguard, mm-hmm. there is analysis there, you analyze the environment, you're very aware of what's happening around you, you look at every single thing, you think about the, the currents, the waves, when you have to stop, when you have to do this, when you have to do that, so you, you're more, uh, I mean, so you win or you, you get to help people or something like that. And then when you talked about um, having everything prepared somehow to take off, to take that flight, to take that call, it's also a little bit of the same, moment. a little bit of the same thing. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels there and the ocean can teach us a lot of it. The best school. Being prepared will yeah. save, you know, like anyone on a boat or living near the ocean. No, you need to be prepared for, mm-hmm. for things. Yeah. Uh, I have another question, or maybe one last one. I don't know. Sometimes I come up with more while we speak. What are you most known for? What do your friends call you for? Why do they like you? What do they say about you? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a good question for my friends, I guess. Uh, I don't know. You know, I I had, I guess my personality is I have lots of, friends you know yeah. all around the world and different friends call for different reasons yeah um a lot of photography reasons um a lot of just hang out have fun and surf reasons i'd like to think i'm a fun person to be around <laughs> i think you are i mean that's the first the impression you gave me when we met the first time i mean uh, we met through annie Mm-hmm. And I'm actually trying to get her to to the podcast interview as well. Oh, if you do, please please ask her about chemtrails. Chemtrails, <laughs> noted. Okay, I don't know what that is, but I will ask her about it. Get her going on some controversial things. <laughs> <laughs> She's awesome. Right, right. I mean, she speaks highly of you, and um, as she said, you're a good friend. So when you think about her, what, why do you think she says you're a good friend? I don't know. I mean, I, I like to think that my friends value my opinion because I'm really honest mm-hmm. you know like if you want to know the truth you'll ask me I'll tell you the truth and I'm very straight to the point on things I'm very honest like if to to a fault I'm very honest it's I don't want people to bullshit me and I would I respect the the truth some friends have a hard time with that and they don't ask my opinion because they don't want to hear the truth and that's okay too <laughs> But I think um, that's something that all my friends can count on is if they come to me, then they're like, well, if you really want to hear the truth, you know, just ask to me, he'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll be there to, to, you know, if it's something serious and heavy, I'm, I'm happy to sit there and talk through it and help out and, you know, be there for them. And, but I'm not going to. Don't ask me if you want to hear sugar-coated versions. <laughs> Just don't do that well. <laughs> I'd rather go right to the point and then stab at it and work through it, mm. you know? Right. That's a great quality, actually, to have. And I guess your friends appreciate you for that and a lot more. I hope so. Thank you very much for this uh, conversation. Really good. Thank you very much. Thanks for, for making the time for it. Thank you. That's it for today's conversation. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the key insights that we shared on this podcast interview. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you didn't subscribe yet and head to my website, thebodyandmindcoach.com blog to find exclusive articles about various personal and professional development topics. 
And finally, if you are an athlete or a business professional who's looking for help to advance your career and navigate through whatever challenges that you may be facing to win your game, or if you are a corporate organization who would like to offer their team a workplace well-being workshop, or if you are a sports team who's looking at unlocking their full potential, go to my website, thebodyandmindcoach.com, scroll to the bottom and hit the contact button and reach out. Thank you and enjoy your day. Thank you.